0: Good morning, church. As I stand here on most Sunday mornings, it has always been my pleasure and my joy to welcome you to church. But today I have a different joy. This morning, I get to open up the pages of Scripture and share with you an important message from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Arnold uh, mentioned that we have Bibles uh, in the aisles. So please do follow along with that. And as Arnold said, take them with you. It is our gift to you. Also, if you do use a Bible, just leave it uh, on the pew afterwards so that we can get it uh, properly sanitized. But the reason that every preacher stands up here and mentions the Bibles and that we want you to follow along is because I do have no wisdom of my own. Anything that I say, it is my prayer that it comes from the Word of God. So John is away today, uh, spending some well-earned time with his uh, family. And since the uh, boss is away, the mice will play. So I will have you guys in the uh, lineup at Wendy's uh, before the rush. I'll speak for about 35 minutes and 28 seconds. So please join me as I pray over the sermon. Father God, today is a wonderful day. Today is the day that you've created and you've assembled us here in this room and those joining us uh, on the Facebook Live. Lord God, we are your church, and I pray as I speak this message, I pray first for myself, Lord, that I would speak your words, that my words would be your words, and I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room. Lord, I pray that it would be your spirit that would teach them. I pray that they would hear these words from Galatians and leave here encouraged and leave here seeing afresh the glory of our risen Christ. So we pray this, that your presence be here in this room. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when I volunteered to preach today, uh, John and I knew that he would be finished with a series on uh, Habakkuk and that I would be preaching a standalone sermon And well, for an expository preacher where we tend to, at this church, go verse by verse uh, through a uh, book of the Bible, uh, this left me in the unfortunate position of having to choose which passage I was going to preach on today. In other words, which theological uh, noose I was going to stick my neck into. And also, one of the cardinal rules of public speaking is to speak on a topic that you know well, and I decide not to follow that advice. And I'll admit that there were times when I felt that I'd made a dreadful mistake in choosing this passage today. However, that said, when I was baptized 17 years ago, I chose this verse as my baptism verse. And perhaps I should tell you what verse we're on. It's Galatians chapter two. We're worth looking at verse 11 to 21, and. The verse I chose for my baptism verse was Galatians 2.20. Even though I was a new Christian with limited understanding of what Christ had done for me, I knew enough to understand that there was something powerful going on in this verse. It is my prayer that by the end of this sermon that you will agree and stand amazed anew at the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll read the passage. Galatians 2, starting in verse 15 through to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And the life I, li- now, I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Before we can focus in and understand the passage at hand, we need to have a general understanding of the context of this passage within the book of Galatians itself. Galatians is one of the earliest uh, New Testament epistles, uh, written in approximately AD 50. In it, Paul is writing to rebuke the Galatian church for being led astray by Judaizing false teachers who are undermining the central New Testament doctrine of justification by faith. These Judaizers were preaching a gospel of Christ plus works. Paul spends most of the first two chapters of Galatians defending his claim to apostleship. What is one of the most common tactics used to shut down an opposing viewpoint today? You guessed it. Destroy the credibility of the messenger. In Paul's day, things were no different. The Judaizing false teachers had been working to discredit Paul's claim to apostleship and thereby discrediting his message. Paul is defending his claim to apostleship, and along with it, the authority of his gospel, the gospel of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. You will notice that this is one of the only one of Paul's letters that does not include the customary greetings and salutations. Rather, Paul, in his immense concern for the grave spiritual danger facing the Galatian church, gets right into his defense of his apostleship and the defense of the gospel. Which leads us to our first point. The problem is Christ plus works. We start off with Paul relaying his fierce confrontation with Peter over Peter's error of withdrawing from from fellowship with the Gentiles, in order to preserve his reputation with the Judaizers. I read from Galatians 2.11-14. But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he, uh, he was eating with the Gentiles, But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you are, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Feel for a minute the force of Paul's rebuke. He does not mince words. He does not sugarcoat anything. He boldly confronts Peter to his face in front of everyone. He does this because Peter's error was so devastating to the gospel of grace. But what does Peter's hypocrisy have to do with the Galatian church? it has everything to do with the church in Galatia. For the very same error that Peter fell into was the same error that the church in Galatia had fallen into, abandoning the gospel of grace and returning to a gospel of works. As we read in Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. As we look back into verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul here is including himself Barnabas, those with Paul, and all of the Jewish Christians in this category of believers who were born into the law, followed the law, and had been raised to believe that through strict obedience to the law, they would be made righteous before God. The Jews held the Gentiles in contempt, as shown by the Jewish Christians, referring to the Gentiles as Gentile sinners. This is a redundant use of words, much like saying wet water. In this verse, Paul dismantles the Jewish Christians' erroneous view that the Jews, by virtue of the law, were at any advantage in regards to justification before God. All were sinners before God, both Jew and Gentile. In effect, Paul is saying there are Gentile sinners and there are Jewish sinners, all by nature sinners before a righteous God. Paul states in uh, Romans 3, chapters, uh, section, verses 9 through 12 What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. No one is righteous, neither Gentile nor Jew. Our common bond amongst all people is our unrighteous standing before God. So here we have it. The gospel problem is sin. Since humanity has overwhelmingly agreed with the exception of some modern worldviews that do not accept the fallen nature of mankind, that humans are flawed or broken. In addition, there's a near-universal acceptance that the way forward for mankind is to earn its redemption. Quoting John Stott, it has been the religion of the ordinary man, both before and since. It is the religion of the man on the street today, Indeed, the fundamental principle of every religious and moral system in the world except New Testament Christianity. It is popular because it is flattering. It tells a man that if he will only pull up his socks a bit higher and try a bit harder, he will succeed in winning his own salvation. For a moment, Christian, sit in this place, feel the weight of it. Why is it heavy? We know that this burden is heavy because it does not work. We know that in all of our efforts are futile and hopeless in our desire to be made righteous before God. As we meditate on our burden of condemnation, we know that something must be done. We cannot possibly stay in this place of heavy burden. And that brings us to point two. The need is for justification Basis for justification is faith in Jesus Christ. In Galatians verses two verses fifteen and sixteen, Paul is reminding the Jewish Christians that by their very act of believing in Christ, they have rejected the law, and by following Christ have made the statement by their lives that the law did not secure them right standing before God. And this is the great need to be made right before God. The gospel solution is justification. Let us remind ourselves of what exactly justification is. Justification is an act of God. It is a legal declaration by which God pardons the sinner of all his sins and declares the sinner as righteous in his sight at the moment of conversion. Justification is a word that we hear a lot at Redemption Church. Martin Luther explains why this is so. This is the truth of the gospel. It also... It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. And yet, even though we correctly diagnose the disease as humanity, which is the need for justification, we as human beings prescribe the wrong medicine, the medicine of works-based righteousness. The tragic part of all of this is that we Christians are not immune to this. And this is what is being addressed in this passage in Galatians that we are looking at today. Reading Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Take a look at that phrase, we also believed in Jesus. Just as there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile in regards to their sinful standing before God, here in verse 16 we see the beginning of something amazing the destruction of the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ and in the church
1: Look with me at Galatians
0: 3:28 and 29 There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This, this takes us into the, the Old Testament, Testament, all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham. In a vision, God appears to Abraham to tell him that the long child with Abraham and Sarah will have a son, and through that son, Abraham will father a great nation. Reading in Genesis 15, this is verses 5 and 6. And he, God, brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Do you see how fantastic this is? Before the law was given, God counted Abraham as righteous. How? Because Abraham believed God. Abraham believed and trusted that what God promised would come to pass. And God declared Abraham righteous by him, by faith, before any works of the law had come into being. And this is the definition of faith. Write this down, note takers, circle it, highlight it, draw arrows pointing at it. Faith is believing what God says. It's that simple. We desperately want to make faith more complicated than it needs to be. We want to place this great work, this great word on Facebook, burn incense, rub beads, or do any number of things to invoke faith. When what we really end up doing is adding works to our spiritual lives because it is a cheap way to make ourselves feel more spiritual, more faithful. And yet, it it is all unnecessary. Faith is believing in God. Faith is trusting God as he reveals who he is in the scriptures. That we believe that he is who he says he is. It is believing God when he says that the scriptures are true and trustworthy and it is believing him that when he says he will save sinners like you and I through his son Jesus Christ, he will. Does this mean that one must understand every passage or every concept in the scriptures? Does this mean that you cannot wrestle with doubt by no means? Faith means that we must be willing to We must uh, learn to be willing at the end of our questions, at the end of our fears, or at the end of our doubts, to say that Jesus is our Lord and surrender ourselves to trusting and resting in the righteous character of our good God. And this is the tragedy that Paul is crying out against that the Galatians, although they had started out well by believing by faith in the gospel of grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, they were returning to futile works of the law. And this brings us into verse 17, which is probably the most difficult of these verses to understand. Verse 17 reads... But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Christ, who preached that justification comes only through faith in him and not through works of the law, is made out to be a liar if, in fact, Christ and works are required for justification, as was being claimed by the Judaizers. If works are required for salvation, and Christ preached that they were not, the Judaizers would be correct in saying that Christ was leading people to sin by telling them that they did not need works in order to be saved. Hence Paul's question, is Christ then a servant of sin? And his bold objection, certainly not. This accusation of the false teachers was so objectionable to Paul because the Judaizers were effectively calling Jesus a liar. This massively maligned the very character of Christ and God our Father. Moving on into verse 18, Paul illustrates the seriousness of this error being committed by the Galatians. The tearing down refers to when the Jewish Christians believed in Christ they tore down the law. But when they began to follow the law once again, they rebuilt the law by adding it back into their religious life and thereby falling into sin, becoming transgressors because they denied the sole basis of salvation as taught by Jesus Christ. Do not be too hasty, brothers and sisters, to take yourself out of this camp. How many times do we as professing Christians falsely do works in order to try to earn favor with God? How often do we place works between us and the God of our salvation? I earn God's favor because I don't consume alcohol. I earn God's favor because I go to church this many times a week. I earn God's favor because I only read spiritual books. I earn God's favor because... Because, because. I encourage you this week, spend some time thinking about things that you may be doing in your faith walk that might fall into this category of works-based righteousness and commit to removing them from your life. As we move on to our next point, we have seen how our need is for justification and the basis for that justification is faith in Jesus Christ. Next, we will see that the result of justification is life in Christ. In many ways, reading these verses has been like watching a car accident. You don't really want to watch, but you can't pull your eyes away. But the great news is that things are about to get better, fantastically better. If we move into verse 19, where Paul says, For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul writes years later in Romans, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. The law was established to point out sin, and once pointed out, sin resulted in condemnation and death, since the wages of sin is death. Just as you and I are required to follow and obey Canadian law when we die, Canadian law has no hold on us, as much as our politicians would love to figure out how to tax us beyond the grave. Paul is saying that by dying to the law, he was free from the law and therefore free to live to God. How does this death to law occur? By the act of placing your faith. In Jesus Christ. When a person confesses faith in Christ for the first time, they are joined to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection into new life. In fact, when a Christian gets baptized, the act of baptism is symbolic of the fact that a believer is crucified with Christ and rises with Christ. If you flip over with me to Romans 6, verses 5 to 11... We read, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that he would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. The word consider here is an important one. Most of us in our modern English would define the word consider to be something like weighing options. Well, I'm considering whether I'm going to go to this camp or go to that camp. Or I'm weighing different invitations. You're choosing, you're weighing your options. Paul uses the word consider in a manner similar to the way that God used the word counted it to Abraham as righteousness in the passage we read from Genesis. Consider here means to count it or accept it. In other words, to know that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Finally, we come to the pinnacle of this passage to Paul's great testimony as to the work that Christ did in Paul's heart upon his conversion. Read with me his words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The best part in my mind is that this is a verse that any one of us who professes Christ as their Savior, can confidently call upon and apply to their own lives. This is not one of those popular screensaver Bible verses that sound great, but after looking into the context, you find that they really don't mean what you thought they meant. Or they don't apply to you because no matter how amazing they sound, they were written to a specific group of people in a specific time for a specific purpose, such as many of the Old Testament quotes. Galatians 2.20 is the story or the explanation of what actually occurs behind the scenes when a sinner accepts Christ and is reconciled to God. You see, although Paul is Paul, the greatest missionary ever to walk the face of the earth, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, a man beaten for his faith, shipwrecked, prisoned, and ultimately martyred in Rome, he was still a man. Although God chose to use him in a vast and powerful way, he was a man just like you and me. And although he had a dramatic conversion story on the Damascus Road with a voice from heaven calling down, what mechanically happened in that conversion is exactly the same thing that happened in you and me if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ even if you do not feel it was so. And now that I have read verse 20 and exclaimed on its majesty, I need to be crystal clear. Galatians 2.20 is in no way saying you have achieved perfection, that you are now sinless, that you no longer carry burdens or struggles. No, not at all. The opposite is true, and this is the story of the Christian walk. When we believe in Jesus Christ, Yes, we are raised to new life in Christ, but we still carry on in this world in our old bodies, stained by sin, tempted by our fallen flesh. But our standing towards God is forever changed in an instant. Our orientation to sin changes from one of willful rebellion to increasing hatred of sin within us and increasing desire to do battle with it. 17 years ago, when this verse first captured my soul, I wondered about Christ who lives in me. We read throughout the New Testament about the Holy Spirit living within us, but Christ who lives in me, to my mind, sounded different. To my own thinking, as a relatively non-spiritual, fact-based, spreadsheet-loving, truth-kind-of-person, Christ in me seemed more concrete, more factual, than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I think this may be a common temptation for us 21st century materialistic Western people. And perhaps also for us in our branch of Reformed Christianity. The Spirit seems foreign, or kind of an out there concept. And what have I discovered through my preparation for this message? Certainly not some new discovery that will change the face of Christianity as Newsweek or Time Magazine headlines love to proclaim. No, what I came to understand and be able to joyfully and peacefully rest in is not that Christ who lives in me is different or more special than the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, but it is one and the same. That is part of the majesty of our beautiful triune God. If you are in Christ, you have the Father, and I and the Father are one, as Jesus said in John ten thirty. It is this indwelling that can change our lives. Reading Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. we derive a secret energy from it, as the shoot does from the root. Or Romans eleven seventeen. but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. You see, in Christ, we have access to the Godhead. Not so that we can be perfect in this life, but rather so that when we are alone, suffering through depression or unable to achieve victory over persistent sin or hanging on to a marriage by a thread, God is at hand to equip us, to strengthen us, and to comfort us. As we close, we're going to briefly look at verse 21, where Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Our conversion at the moment of faith is so complete, our putting off the old self so final, that it is inconceivable to go back to the old ways. In verse 21, Paul is drawing us back to the beginning of the passage, to the error of the Jewish Christians in Galatia, reminding them of why it is an outrage to add human works of righteousness to the work of grace that Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. For if it were possible to be justified by works, then Christ died for no purpose. There it is, Christian. There are no works that you can do or need to do to save yourself. There is nothing you can do to earn righteousness before God, to clean yourself up or to make yourself appealing to God. And the great truth is that you don't have to, for it is Christ who loved you and has already done this great work for us. As we close, we're going to stand together and we're going to read Galatians 2.20. Let's give the worship team a second or two to come up. Stand with me. Let's read it along. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you. Let us worship together.